Well, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're also going to be looking at James chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 4. Today's message will only apply to you, though, if you've ever been tempted to sin. Anybody? Um, or if you have or if you ever will go through adversity. Anybody? Okay. I'm guessing that this message will apply to pretty much everybody in the room because verse 13 that we're going to look at today says that uh, temptation is common to man. And when it comes to adversity, Jesus told us that adversity is common to man. John 16:33, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Now, the word temptation, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. The word temptation there is pirasmos. It means an experiment, a trial, a test. Now, how many of you were really glad to graduate from high school or college? Because you thought, no more tests. Fools. There's always tests, right? We thought, we'd, we thought we escaped them in high school and college, but... I have since learned that life is what? One test after another. We are always being tested, whether it's through temptation or through trials. We are always being tested. The title of the message this morning is Testing, Testing, Testing. See, the tests you guys face and I face come in really two forms. There is temptation, that is the enticement to sin, but there's also trials and adversity. Now, really, we could do two separate sermons. You want to do two separate sermons today? You guys got some time? No? Okay. <laughs> um, we can do two separate sermons, one dealing with temptation and one dealing with trials. Let's start with a sermon on dealing with temptation. In case you never deal with that, just make sure you're back for the last part. Oh, but wait. Before you get up, you might want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands... Take heed, lest he fall. In other words, sit down. <laughs> you need to hear this. That's actually the very first point on our, on our sermon on temptation, which is, you are not, I am not, immune. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's first take a quick crash course on temptation. Turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Most of you are familiar with this scripture. James chapter 1 verse 12 says... Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. There's a whole bunch of things we can learn really quickly. I'm going to try not to spend too much time here, but one thing you can learn right away is that temptation itself is not a sin. Temptation itself is not a sin unless you allow yourself to be drawn away by it. If you do, if you let yourself be drawn away, uh, verse 14 and 15 say that the natural progression is temptation leads to sin and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Ask any sin what he wants to be when he grows up, and he will tell you a professional killer. Sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And another thing quickly we notice here, God is never the source of temptation. 
the enticing to sin. God is never the source. He's never the author. He's never the administrator of your temptation. But God will allow you to be tested. Look at verse 12 again of, of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter, no, I'm sorry, no, of James. James chapter 1, verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The word approved there, if you, how many people were here last week and were actually in the service? Probably most of you were serving because that's the way it is around here. If you were here last week, you may remember the word dokimos. It means approved. It's that word in verse 12. For when he has been approved. Do you remember where you saw it? Turn with me now back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. But then keep going. One more page. Look at the very last word. If you have the New King James, it's the very last word of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. Paul was talking about running a race and he says, verse 27, But I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Disqualified is adokimos, not approved. We talked about it last Sunday. See, the devil wants you to be adokimos. He wants you to be not approved. But what does God want for you? He wants to approve you. He wants to be able to say, well done, good, and faithful servant. He wants to give you, James chapter 1 says, a crown of life. Are you seeing that every temptation, every temptation that comes your way has two possible outcomes? It has two sides. One side is for you and one side is against you. And Anybody here been to a high school or a college basketball game? Uh, you guys know that usually there's a, the, the two sets of cheerleaders. There's the home cheerleaders and the away cheerleaders. Actually, let's make it more interesting. How many people have, are, are fans of the Gators? Okay, how many people are fans of the Seminoles? We, we don't admit it now, but... Now, let's say that our teams were playing each other in football in the swamp... And for the sake of argument, let's say the Seminoles had a chance at this point. You Gator fans would be rooting for your Gators, right? You'd be like, go team, go, go team, go. But we Seminole fans would also be rooting for your Gators. Go team, go, go Gators, go. Around the bowl and down the hole, go Gators, go. <laughs> That's, how it wor- That's how it works in, in a contest. There's... There's two sides. There's only one outcome. There are two opposing teams. They are rooting for a different outcome. You guys, that is temptation. That is testing. The enemy administers the test. The, admin, the enemy administers the test, and his desire is to bring you down, to, at the end of the day, say, not approved. But God allows the same test. He doesn't administer it, but he allows it. Why? Because he wants to, at the end of the day, say, Dokimos, approved, well done. So you need to know, we need to know that our enemy is testing us at all times. He's hoping that we will fail. And he's got an ally on the inside. He's, it's an inside job. He's got an ally on the inside, our flesh. The old man, 
is pretty much wanting to do what the old man used to do. Now, the last verse of chapter 9 says that Paul says, look, the enemy wants me to be disqualified, but I, I won't go for that. The enemy would like nothing more than for you to be disqualified, discouraged, distant from God, and destroyed. That's his goal. But God is rooting for you in the same circumstances. So, well, let's look inside the enemy's playbook, shall we? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. We see the enemy's playbook. Oh, look, right here it says in the playbook, make them think they are immune. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. One of the favorite tactics of the enemy is this, to blindside, to ambush. The enemy loves the pop quiz. You know your teacher that you hated gave you the pop quiz? That's the enemy. The, the easiest way to take down an enemy is by surprise, sneak attack. I actually read about it in my quiet time this morning. Israel and uh, the tribe of Benjamin were in civil war, and Benjamin was smoking them. 40,000 people that Israel had lost, two battles. Finally, they go in the third battle, and, and they try an ambush. They, they draw Benjamin away from their town, and they soon, uh, once, once Benjamin is out, and they think that they've won, then suddenly they surround them, and they're, they're stuck. Sneak attack. The enemy playbook says, look, make them think they are immune. Inflate them. There's all sorts of examples in the Bible, Samson and Delilah. But the quintessential example must be Peter. Peter, in Mark 14, you guys know the story. Let me read to you, verse 27. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter spoke more vehemently, said, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said, likewise, me too. We got it. We're covered. There, there's no way we will deny you. There is no way we will fail. There is no way we will stumble in this spot. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. The enemy loves the sneak attack, the ambush. And we don't have a prayer. We don't have a chance if we are not aware of that. Jesus knew that Peter would be tempted. He told him. He even said, Satan has asked for you. Satan wants to administer the temptation. Satan has asked for you that he might sift you like wheat. But, but Jesus said, but in the end, Peter, God has it worked out. But Jesus warned Peter. He warned him. Later in the garden, he said, look, watch and pray that you might not fall into temptation. Jesus knew that Peter would be tempted, and he warned him. And today... Peter knows that you will be, perhaps are being, tempted. And he gives you and I the same warning. He says to you and I, look, watch and pray that you might not fall into temptation. To me, it's no coincidence that when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, what was one of the things he included? He said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Forewarned is forearmed. I think I've beaten this to death here, but you are not immune. 
No one is. Whether you've been a Christian for 20 minutes or 20 days or 20 years, the devil still wants to blindside you. Therefore, verse 12, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Let's look at the next play in the enemy's playbook. After he has written, make them think they are immune, is this one. Make them think they are alone. After he inflates you, once he's got you almost trapped, once he's got you close to trapped, he wants to think, make you think that you are alone. After he inflates you, he wants to isolate you. Verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Your enemy, the enemy of your soul, wants you to think, wants you to be convinced that you are the very first person ever to be tempted in this way. First, he wants you to think that you're exempted from temptation, but next he wants you to think that your temptation is exclusive, that no one else in the world has ever had to deal with this temptation the way you do. You guys know what happens. That's a, that the result is a ready-made excuse. Look, I know adultery is wrong. I know fornication is wrong, but you haven't seen this girl. No one in the world has been tempted like this. Or, look, no one in the world has ever had to face what I face. My situation is unique. I know I shouldn't do it, but I'm so lonely. No one has ever been this lonely before. I know I shouldn't think this way or say these things, but I'm crazy. I mean, I truly am. I'm really messed up in the head. No one has ever been this loony before. I've got ADD or thyroid issues or anger issues, whatever it is. And I'm not discounting all of them. But what I'm saying is this. Those excuses are very, very handy. And in most cases, I think they're so handy because the enemy has handed them to you. He wants you to think. He wants you to be convinced that what you are going through, no one else has ever gone through before. So he says, go ahead. Indulge it. Excuse it. But don't you see what he's doing? He wants to isolate you. If no one has ever been through this before, then therefore no one's ever beat this. So you're alone. You are alone in this temptation. The Bible says that your enemy, my enemy, roams about seeking whom he may devour as a lion. Now, a lion, like any good beast of prey, will first identify his target Look for someone maybe who thinks that they're immune. And then he'll begin to isolate. He will cut them off from the rest of the fold. Say, no, you're different. You're alone in this. Then your excuse, if you indulge it, becomes your death warrant. And you begin to think this way. Nobody understands. Nobody has ever beaten this. Nobody's ever gone through this. That is a lie. Verse 13 again, no temptation has ever taken you except such as is common to man. Realize what that means? That means that whatever your temptation is, there are others, probably many others, who can relate. Do me a quick uh, experiment. Turn to the person next to you. Look at the person next to you. You see them? Here's a secret. They are just as messed up as you are. (laughs) 
when you start to make excuses, when you think to yourself, look, I've got it worse because of this or this. When you start to make excuses, you and the lion are taking a walk. You're taking a walk away from the fold. How much better is it for that sheep who is weak, who knows he's weak, to turn to the others and say, look, I'm really weak. Will you circle the wagons? Will you surround me? Will you surround me with prayer? Will you pray for me so the lion won't prey on me? And what happens is if there's one or two who are brave enough to actually do that, the sheep that pray with them, they go, actually, you know what? I struggle with that too. The enemy wants to inflate and he wants to isolate. But see, God is good. He's actually right here in verse 13. Let us look into the playbook of the enemy and it gets better. If you are facing temptation, and I'd be surprised if you weren't, you need to know this too. God is in your corner. And he's in control. Look at verse 13 again. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. It says, but God is faithful. The word faithful there is uh, the word pistos, and it means it's used of persons who show themselves faithful in the transaction of business, the execution of commands, or the discharge of official duties. In other words, one who can be relied upon. God can be relied upon. When you go through temptation, you need to know first that the enemy wants to inflate you, but then he wants to isolate you. And the last thing he wants you to know is that God is actually in your corner and he's in control. God is faithful. He can be relied upon. The Bible says when we are faithless, he is faithful. Now do the math. That actually leads to a very simple yet powerful principle. Let's see, if he is always faithful, and I'm nearly always faithless, I mean, if he can always be depended upon, and I can always be depended upon to fail, then whom should I let handle my temptations? Me? No. See, when the enemy wants to inflate my sense that I can handle it, when the enemy wants to isolate myself, me and, and say, look, you can handle it on your own, The best move is to invite the living God who is faithful to fight for me. You guys know that Jesus said, I am the door. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Most of you probably know the the, uh, surroundings of that story, but it goes like this. At night, the shepherd, he would round up his sheep, put them in a pen, and at the gate, the place of the opening the shepherd himself would lay down so that no predators could get in to the pen. It was like he was saying, over my dead body. You will have to go through me, Jesus says, to get to these sheep. Stories told of a a girl who had a great perspective on temptation. She says, whenever I'm tempted, when the devil knocks on my door, I just say to Jesus, would you get that? (laughs) And he does. And the devil looks and says, oh, wrong door. And he goes away. When you are tempted, two things, really. Remember that you are not alone. There are others in this very room who are going through the same thing. 
maybe not the exact same situation, but a very similar circumstance. But two, you are not alone because the God of the universe wants to be that door. When you're tempted, remember you are not alone. Invite Jesus into that scene. And look, it gets better. It says, at the middle of verse 13, But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. See, not only is God in your corner, but he is also in control. The, administ- the enemy is the administrator, the author of your temptation. He's the one who's like, all right, I want to throw a pop quiz here. But the good news is that God must allow it. Everything must go by God. Again, you ever have a teacher who actually wanted you to fail? I mean, you knew it. There's a few, not, not many, but a few that I remember growing up that I was convinced this teacher actually didn't like me and actually wanted me to fail. Like maybe a, fat, a fifth grade math teacher that if they could get away with it, they would give you a calculus test just to see you fail. That's the devil. Some of you are thinking, yes, I remember that teacher. Well, God is, for lack of a better term, the principal. And he wants you to succeed, and he has the final say. He says, with full authority, no, you will not give that test to this one. No, you will not give that test. He or she is not ready for that test. Look, it's, it's a stated fact. It's a promise. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. This means, if you think about it, it's a seismic truth. It means you cannot say... If you're a Christian, if you believe in the Bible, you cannot say, I just couldn't resist. The temptation was too great. You can't truthfully say that and, and say it as if God dropped the ball. As, as if God allowed one temptation to get through that was actually not resistible. Now, understand, it is true that there's no way you can resist it on your own. But if you invite Jesus into it, and obey him, you will never face a temptation you cannot resist. God is faithful, verse 13, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. The word escape there, it's an attractive word in this verse. In the Greek it is ekbasis, E-K-B-A-C-I-S. B-A-S-I-S, excuse me, ekbasis. It means an egress, a way out, an exit. It's applied figuratively to the way of escape from temptation. It's a mountain pass. When When an army is surrounded, it's a mountain pass, a way out of a trap. Anyone here ever been to a theme park? Maybe a few? You guys aren't actually raising your hands. You're not humoring me. Okay, yes, all right. You know how in the line for the roller coaster and uh, you, somewhere along the line before you're strapped into the vomit comet, <laughs> they, they have what we used to call when I was a kid, they used to call it the chicken exit, right? It's like, okay, you can get out now. Here's your chance. Before every roller coaster ride, before every death spiral, there is an ekbasis, a way of escape. I mean, the owners make sure of it because it saves them money on custodians. So, so it is with your temptation, right? The, the, the ride operator, if you will, is sadistic. He's like, come on, come on the death spiral. 
But the owner has provided a way of escape, an ekbasis. But listen, he won't force you to take it. Nobody, when you're waiting for the, the uh, roller coaster, says, I'm taking you off. Maybe your parents do. But in general, no one will force you to make that decision. You get to decide. And what I found is, in my temptations, in every temptation, there hasn't just been one way of escape. There's been several places, several chances, several ekbasises, several times that I could have escaped. But the longer you wait, the harder it is for you to take the way of escape. You notice that? I was thinking it's kind of like, for the best picture I could come up with, kind of like those uh, moving sidewalks at the airport. Right? You get on them and you're pretty much, okay, you're, you're moving in this direction and there's a break between, right? Well, this is like the closer you get to the death spiral, the faster the sidewalk moves. So that there is a way of escape, but the closer you get, you've got to be more committed to that way of escape. You have to be more committed to that ekbasis when it comes. And so many people pass by ekbasis after ekbasis. They pass by escape after escape until they're strapped in. They're halfway down the death spiral. And then they say to God, you didn't make a way of escape. Application. Look for and take the way of escape. That's why verse 14 of the same chapter says, Therefore, my beloved, Paul says, I love you guys and I'm telling you, flee idolatry. Flee. Run. See, the best, the easiest ekbasis, the easiest escape is before the temptation comes. So let me ask you, pointedly, don't answer out loud. What is your death spiral? What is yours? I mean, is it alcohol? Sexual sin, anger, whatever it is. If it's alcohol, confess it to someone today. This is your way of escape. Sexual sin, confess it to someone. Remove that source now. Anger, are you walking with Jesus from the moment you wake up? It could be that your ekbasis is the moment you wake up. Now, that's all about temptation. It's time for a second sermon. This should only be about twice as long as the first. Just kidding. The word temptation, perasmos, it means testing. An experiment, a testing. Now some of you today are being tested in a completely different way. Adversity. Probably some of you have thought about the example of Job. The devil comes to God and says, yeah, of course he loves you. You do everything great for him. And God says, no, I believe in this guy. He says, I will allow you to do this so that he will be approved. Now, testing comes in the form of adversity so often. And the sermon this morning is really basically the same. So it will be much shorter. Maybe you have been blindsided. Maybe you've been ambushed by adversity and you never saw it coming. The tactics of the enemy are still the same. He still wants to isolate you. He still wants you to think that no one has ever gone through what you're going through. He still wants you to think that no one understands, no one cares. Again, I would say to you, that is a lie. 
It's a lie from the pit. You need to know that you are not alone. Others have gone through similar pain, similar adversity. In a church even our size, there's someone in this church who's gone through something similar. And many people in this room are willing to pray for you and with you. And one in particular in this room can relate completely to you. His name is Jesus. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Look at with me at verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, verse 13 says that God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. If you're going through adversity today, you need to be reminded that God knows exactly what you can take. But he is a strength coach. You know how strength coaches work. They never allow you to be strapped more than what you could take, but they take you right up to the edge. Right? He will allow you to be stretched, but he will not allow you to be broken. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. It's funny that when you're talking about temptation, we pass up the way of escape so often. But when it comes to adversity, we're desperate for the way of escape. What we'd like in adversity comes uh, an escape chute. Not a path, Lord, thank you. Just a chute. Just get me out of here as quick as possible. No. An ekbas is, is a mountain pass. It's one with that's not necessarily easily traversed, and it could be quite a journey. See, there is no promise of escape from physical trials. Matter of fact, the last time I checked, pretty much everyone's last trial ends in death. But that is an escape route too, isn't it? For the Christian. But listen, you can escape the fear, the terror, the worry, the stuff that comes with adversity. Even in a situation where you're facing death, one of the saints in our congregation was going through this very thing this last Sunday. And it has turned out well for this person. But it's because they sought the escape route. Psalm 23, verse 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Do you get it? He is your way of escape. So whether you're going through temptation or through trial, your enemy wants you to be disqualified. But your king is allowing it that you might be approved. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it.